I think that that this is the time for this core to really elevate themselves. They, I think that they feel that they were disappointed last year after they had a chance to set a franchise record in wins. The Brewers are in this position where they know what they are, and I think they know how to perform at that level. It's just putting all the pieces together over the course of a series and just trying to get to the top of the mountain. This is the time right now. This is the golden age of Brewers baseball. They've never gone to the playoffs three straight years, let alone four straight years of what they're doing right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week, very excited to have him back, uh, a return to the best podcast in baseball for Jeff Levering, voice of the Milwaukee Brewers on radio and TV this year. So broadcaster for the Brewers. How's that juggling act work? Like, what's different between calling a game on radio and then you go and do it on TV where people can kind of see the images of their own. Yeah, I, I can't fake it as much on, on the TV side because the, the pictures tell all the stories for me. But, but it's been fun. It's more of a, a juggling act with the schedule than anything else um, because I'm Brian Anderson, who's been doing this with the Brewers for over 15 years now, uh, who does such a great job, much like Danny Mack does for the Cardinals. Uh, Brian's star is shining a little brighter now, doing the Turner Sports Game of the Week on Tuesdays. So he doesn't do as many midweek games. He did the NBA playoffs for a long time, the NCAA basketball tournament. So I, my schedule on the television side was very front-loaded. Now, as we get into the heat of summer, I do a lot of the, the home radio games on the weekends uh, when B.A. is able to work on TV. So he ends up doing about 50 games, and then I have the rest on television. It's It's been a lot of fun, just as long as I have some sort of Excel spreadsheet that says, <laughs> okay, you need to wear XYZ, and you're going into this booth. Right. Okay, that's all I need to know. But when you can wear a polo and when you can wear a tie is what exactly. it comes down to, right? Yeah, like today, I'm wearing tennis shoes and sandals and shorts on the radio side, so we're all good. That's yeah. uh, that's all all that matters to me. Yesterday, I was in the monkey suit, so it was perfect. <laughs> Pretty good. You you had your time in the Cardinals organization there with Springfield with the AA team in the Texas League. Is there still familiarity that comes with the Cardinals coming to town or when you come to St. Louis that you see that organization there are little like notes that you recognize? Well, yeah, they, they for some reason, put me in the notes every time the Brewers and Cardinals play. I'm like the last little note that says I was a Springfield. They claim you, yeah. I know, right? So that, that's a cool feeling. I'm always underneath. You were a prospect in the organization, yeah. And you just went to shine elsewhere. Yeah, I did. When it was fine, it's, I, I went where where the road took me. Right. So mm-hmm. th- there is some familiarity. Uh, of course, Mike Schilt, when he was the manager of uh, the right. Springfield Cardinals, he was our manager. Of course, and then he went on to be the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, but Pop Warner was my manager. Brian Eversger, the bullpen coach, was our pitching coach in Springfield. So those are two guys that that have maintained. And of course, now Colton Wong is is a Brewer. That's a guy that I was with Springfield with in 2012 when they won the Texas League Championship. So. There's, there's still some familiarity there. The names are, are certainly dwindling. Like, Matt Carpenter is not a St. Louis Cardinal anymore, and that's a guy that was in Springfield my first year there. So it's, it's not as familiar with a lot of the pieces, but, but still there's, there's some Cardinal red in me. How does it help you when you're calling a game or maybe even, like, telling a story about an organization to have been – with organizations, particularly historic ones like you have been. Yeah, it it helps a lot. So I've been very fortunate, of course, my time in Springfield with the Cardinals organization. Then I moved on to the Red Sox organization. I was with Boston in AAA for two years, too. So, I mean, you're talking about two iconic franchises within the sport. Um, It... it, in my job, it holds you more accountable, right? Because you have the, the fans that are as passionate as passionate gets, and they care about 
the minor league teams. The people in St. Louis care about what's happening in St. Louis. The people in Boston care about what's happening at Pawtucket. They have a radio network. Well, now Worcester, since they moved a couple of years ago. Right. But, um, but they have a radio network that goes all up and down the eastern seaboard. So people are listening to you. And I, I'll, I'll never forget this. When I got hired, my boss in Pawtucket said, you're not, you're not on a year-to-year contract. You're not on a season-to-season contract, month-to-month, week-to-week. You're on a word-to-word contract. So, again, that goes back to the fan bases um, to hold you accountable for what you say. And I definitely improved over those five years that I was with those two organizations. Uh, but now that I'm here in Milwaukee um, and the opportunity to play against the Cardinals, it, it's funny when, when you have guys that ask you questions that know I worked in the Cardinals organization. Yeah. And they go, hey, is that... The Cardinal Way thing, is that is that real? Did you witness that in Springfield? I, yeah, I, I mean, I, there's not a manual like people say, mm-hmm. right? There's not this special binder that you're handed when you become a member of the Cardinals, uh, Cardinals organization that tells you the rules and regulations with which you should live your life. But there's a different way that they go about things. So it is a real thing. There's no doubt about the Cardinal Way. We're recording this after two games of this four-game series has been played, and the second game was in somewhat a showcase of player development. Nolan Gorman with four hits, four RBIs, two home runs. Zach Thompson had a pivotal part in that game. This series really does have elements of how these two teams develop players in both successfully but also in their own way kind of yeah game one you saw corbin burns right who's a fourth round pick out of st mary's and he goes seven innings and strikes out 10 and he's been amazing against the cardinals this year right Mm -hmm. so two starts of scoreless baseball 21 strikeouts that's player development for the brewers side and it's been on the pitching side of things too you think about this series and and where the brewers were as a franchise, right? It was mm-hmm. always the offensive players that were coming through, and then they would always just be pitchers that were short. They didn't develop pitching for a long time. That's kind of the other way. Now that the, the coin has been flipped a bit, it's all about the pitching side. Josh Hader, even though he wasn't a Brewers draft pick, right. essentially was acquired as an A-ball guy. Devin Williams, a St. Louis kid, he comes through the organization. It's been 10 years to get him to this point, essentially. Adrian Hauser traded for the, All these guys that the Brewers have developed, Brandon Woodruff, Aaron Ashby, a draft pick, these are the guys that are all within the – the Brewers system moving forward where the offensive guys, they're all acquisitions. Nobody has come from within in this Brewers organization. They've all either traded for them, um, free agents. That's just different on how these these two teams have kind of gone about the way that they have developed players. The Cardinals have been case in point, yeah, they'll spend for free agents. They'll go trade for a Paul Goldschmidt. They'll go trade for a Nolan Arenado. But they want to develop from within. Tommy Edmond at the top of the lineup. Like you said, Nolan Gorman, Harrison Bader. These are all guys that have been cultivated through the system. Um, and they're the two best teams in the National League Central right now for a reason. Last year, pitching obviously was the story for the Brewers. It's really been what's elevated them into being the class of the NL Central. They have for years now been the team that the Cubs wanted to be and that the Cardinals have been really kind of dictating who wins this division but they got there last year by being cautious with their pitching never on any short rest always constantly with the rotation they're going through some injuries now do you think this catches up with them do they have the depth 
to weather the the hottest months with maybe fewer pitchers? I think it, they do, and you're looking at a guy like Jason Alexander who's going to start the finale against the Cardinals in this series who kind of come out of nowhere, right? And he's a sinker ball guy. He's eating up innings. Uh, the bullpen has been tested big time. Trevor Gott's been down for a little while. He's been an eighth inning, seventh inning guy for the Brewers. Uh, Brandon Woodruff is making his way back. Freddie Peralta is a different story where he's maybe August, maybe September. Um, that's kind of like that trade acquisition piece that you get yeah. from returning from an injury. Uh, but I do think that they have the horses to do this. And I, and I, I do believe that that six-man rotation worked really well in the Brewers' benefit last year. It kept Corbin Burns healthy. It kept Brandon Woodruff healthy. It allowed Aaron Ashby to kind of be that swing guy, and now he's going to come back, and he's going to be a big part of this rotation moving forward as well. And Eric Lauer was a different guy from last year to what he is this year too. Um, they do have the depth, and I think that's it's a great way. And they've had a blueprint of this a little bit with how they handled Josh Hader early on in his career, right? You see what the Cardinals are doing now with guys going multiple innings out of the bullpen, be down one or two days, and then they're coming back. And so you have these different pieces. Like I said, it's an Excel spreadsheet, right? Yeah, who's yeah. available? Who's not available? This guy's going to be working for us this day. This guy's going to be working for us that day. But because of the way that they handled Josh Hader, he's able to go multiple days at a time now, just going one inning. And that seven, eight, and nine that the Brewers have set together has been brilliant over the last few years. What do you make of this June four-game series where they both arrive with the same record? You know, two games in, they have the same record. They're separated by five runs scored. Um, I mean, it does have a little different feel than the normal June series. Is that partially because the other three teams have just bowed out so you kind of know where the head-to-head is? I think so. And the fact that the first three series between these two teams are all four-game series, yeah, right? That That's part of it. So now you go down the stretch. The Brewers, when they go to St. Louis for the last time, it's just a two-game series, right? That might dictate a lot within the division, even though it's mid-September. Uh, the Brewers are at home so much in the month of September. I think they're only playing six road games in their final 20. So that really helps the Brewers in terms of their schedule. They've already played half of their road schedule yeah. already, which is nuts. Um, but but there is a little bit more weight in this series, it feels like. It's always Cardinals and Brewers. And, you know, like you said, this the first 10 games of this series are so tight. They could go either way. And the one stat that I always go back to is the team that scores first is 10-0 and in this series, huh. no matter what. And even yesterday when the Cardinals scored two in the first, Brewers came back and scored two in the bottom of the first, you went, well, maybe it's not going to be the case today. And then Nolan Gorman does Nolan Gorman things against the Brewers. Uh, but that's a, a great stat that I found out in the first 10 games that the team that scores first is 10-0. and And who knows what's going to happen here tonight. But these two teams, there's just something about when these guys meet over the last couple of years that makes it feel a little bit heightened. Do you, do you think they're rather evenly matched this year compared to even more recent years? I do think so. I, I, I still put a lot of advantage in the Cardinals' offense. I feel like that offense, even though it's not consistent for whatever reason with the pieces that they have and missing Tyler O'Neill now after he was only back for a couple of games is a, a big, big difference maker for the Cardinals. But to have guys like Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and Tommy Edmond at the top of the lineup, that's a clear advantage. You know, the Brewers have Willie Adamas, and, and they, they basically need – contributions from different people every night. It's not going to be the same guy that's that's driving the ship every single day. So they need somebody different to step up. Game one, it was Tyrone Taylor in the ninth spot. It's a two-run homer. Those are the only runs that the Brewers score. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be somebody different. Whereas if you're the Cardinals, you've got your benchmark guys. You know who's going to be delivering 
But I'd still give the Brewers pitching staff a bit of an advantage, and especially the back end of the bullpen, 7, 8, and 9, Boxberg, Williams, and Hayter. I think that that's where, where the Brewers set themselves apart just a little bit, and even a couple of the guys in the rotation, too. What did you make, then, of how the Cardinals kind of answered or, or gave a little peek at their bullpen with four innings from their two guys in, in the second game of the series. It made me think that they really wanted game two. And they know that they have Adam Wainwright going in game number three, who's going to eat some innings, hopefully. But the Brewers have had some success against yeah. him this year. So you, you've kind of put your cards out there if you're Ollie Marmel in this series going, all right, we lost game one. We need to get game two. You didn't know how much you were going to get out of Jack Flaherty. He ends up being three innings and five walks. But then he goes with his top guys out of the bullpen. So you're sitting there watching this game and how it unfolds. You say, they really want this game. And then the next this next two games in the series, you kind of figure it out as you go. But they really were playing for last night's victory. They ended up getting it, and we'll see what happens here tonight. Jack Flaherty and you mentioned Adam Wainwright have both had their difficulties against the Brewers. They've also both pitched a lot against the Brewers. Do you think that that's emblematic of how the Brewers prepare I mean, is there something kind of behind the curtain in Milwaukee for how when they see somebody over and over or how they advance scout or something like that, that, that they just have a knack for start, for really getting a read on a pitcher eventually? Yeah, I think so. And for the case of Adam Wainwright, right, he's, he's pitching against the Brewers for like the 53rd time tonight, right. 52nd time, whatever it is. Um, you just have seen so much of the guy. You know what he's going to try and do. And at this stage of his career where – his fastball is not what it was in the past. He still has the big curveball and the cutter and the changeup and all these different things. He's got the same arsenal, but for whatever reason, the Brewers have had a good plan against him. And whether it's sitting on a particular pitch or sitting on a particular location, they've had a good plan against Adam Wainwright. For Jack Flaherty, it's something about this ballpark. I don't know what it is. He had one good start here mm -hmm. last season, but other than that, he has really struggled in this ballpark in Milwaukee. Um, but the Brewers with familiarity, and I think it's that way for a lot of teams, though, right? If you see somebody multiple times over the course of a season, save for Jose Quintana, who the Brewers saw seven times in 2018 <laughs> and still couldn't figure out the combination to him, I think it's just because he's left-handed and the Brewers haven't been able to hit left-handed pitching over the last five years. Um, but if you see somebody over over time, you're going to get more comfortable with that person. I think the Brewers, especially with Andrew McCutcheon and Christian Yelich in this roster, they can tell these younger players, hey, listen, this is what he's going to do. These are his trends and, and pass the information down. So Corbin Burns wins the Cy Young Award last year, and based on the times I've seen him this year, he's even better. I don't think he's allowed to run all year, right? Oh, no, wait, that's just so the Cardinals. that he has, He's just struck them all out. Um, is he... Is he better this year than last year? Is is he putting together an encore kind of Cy Young season? I, I think so, and I think he's just using his weaponry different. The cutter is still the same. It's the the velocity of ninety five to ninety eight miles an hour with the cutter. He's been throwing his sinker a little bit more to right handed hitters, which is ninety seven to ninety nine. He's hit a hundred a couple of times. Mm -hmm. He's, he's diversifying the portfolio, right? Yeah. So he's, he's using his complimentary stuff. He feels more comfortable with it. He's throwing this curveball, the one that he struck out Dylan Carlson in to end his outing in the seventh inning after he went back-to-back change-ups and made Dylan Carlson. You could see it in his eyes where Carlson's sitting there going, what is he doing to me right now with this pitch selection? He hasn't thrown back-to-back change-ups all game. Mm -hmm. And then he's going to hammer me with a curveball at the end of this? 
that, I mean, that's what puts Corbin Burns apart and how hard he has worked on the mental side of games from when he was in 2019 giving up home run after home run after home run and then some strikeouts here and there, goes down to the minor leagues, goes and talks with a mental skills coach, mm. comes back in 2020 post-pandemic, and he's a totally different guy. And then he changes into a totally different guy after that in 2021. This is a three-year stretch of Corbin Burns being as best as he can possibly be. Um, and it's just a change in his mentality and getting after it. And um, you're seeing one of one of the best pitchers in baseball, in my opinion. Is it? What, what was the switch? I mean, is it confident? I mean, the cutter can be a high-reward, great-reward pitch, yeah. but it can also be a risky one. We were talking to Paul Goldschmidt about his cutter, about Burns' cutter, and he says it's just unlike any other one. Yeah. So was it a matter of mentally kind of – getting confidence in it, not trying to like place it, but trust the movement in it. Is there something even beyond that, that he was able to kind of switch? So his normal fastball in 18 and 19 had cutting action on it. Right. Mm -hmm. So then when he scrapped everything, went into the Brewers pitching lab, which I think is where they're keeping the character 11 from stranger things. It's just, (laughs) I don't know what goes on in there. Nobody's allowed access to it unless you're a pitcher or part of the pitching staff, but they figured out, they said, Hey, listen, your fastball, plays and it has this extra cut on it why don't you grip it in a little bit of a different way then you're going to get more natural cut on it and it's such a finicky pitch with the feel too so when it goes for Corbin Burns he's got to look to other things and that's when the curveball and the changeup and the slider and the the sinker have really come into play for him but for me it's not even just the cutter it's his mentality when he's on the mound if you go back and watch clips of 2018 2019 if he gives up a hit or if he walks a guy He's screaming into his glove, and he'll still do that at times. Or he's walking off the mound, and he's punching a wall, or he's throwing his glove all over the place. Now he's learned to harness that a little bit more. He breathes a lot more. He can channel that into different ways of getting himself into a successful situation against the opponent. I I think that's where he has really flipped the switch. It's not just the command of the stuff or the cutter, which is ungodly good. Mm -hmm. It's, It's the mentality to go back and do it over and over and over again and not get frustrated if someone hits a a base hit off the end of the bat and it goes down the line for a double where your defense isn't playing. Like that's the stuff that he's been able to flush, get after it, strike out the next couple of guys and end a rally. That's fat and that pitching lab is fascinating. That's something that the Cardinals have wanted to do and just have been really slow to develop. Um, even when John Mozeliak was promoted to ba- president of baseball operations out of the GM spot, one of the things he said is you know, we've fallen behind. We used to lead in some of these categories. We still think we have an edge in drafting. We still think we ha- are good at developing pitchers, but we're starting to lose an edge. And I want to get us back out in front. And he described specifically the pitching lab that he wanted to create not happened. It still hasn't happened all these years later. But at that same time, I found it fascinating because this is about 2015. That division race was remarkable. The Cardinals won the division, but the Cubs and Pirates had the wild card game and then you had the first playoff meeting ever between the Cardinals and the Cubs. And that clash I found riveting in the sense that the Cubs had built their franchise on position players. Baez, Bryant, traded for Rizzo. They drafted and developed. They tanked, brought in position players, but even then had no real homegrown pitchers. And even in that World Series run, they had one. Now you look at the Brewers all these years since. They're built through pitching. And, you know, the acquisition of Yelich helped, but they're built through pitching. Cardinals are built through pitching. 
I bring all this up because doesn't that kind of prove now that's how you have staying power in this division is you build through pitching? I think that's absolutely right. And you could go back to all of the almost all of the World Series winners mm-hmm. essentially over the last 30 years. And I, I think about the teams that I, I grew up watching on TBS. You watch the Braves all the time. And I know Greg Maddox wasn't a homegrown guy, but Smoltz was, Glavin was. Mm-hmm. And look at what they were able to do. Steve Avery at the beginning of that run, too. It's always been the model for the Braves to have a stockpile of pitching. That goes back to Boston, Milwaukee Braves, Atlanta <laughs> yeah, Braves. Yeah, They've yeah. always stockpiled pitching. Great point. The Cardinals have been that way. They've always, in my time in the organization, uh, in AA, our rotation was Carlos Martinez, Michael Waka, uh, Trevor Rosenthal, Kevin Segrist, Seth Manus. These are all hometown names in St. Louis now that all came through the system. And they just and they had success in St. Louis, and they go off and do their own things, and and it is what it is. But it's that dedication to having as much pitching as humanly possible, because that is the most fickle of all of the positions, in my opinion. Yeah. Because it can come and go. Look at a bullpen. The bullpen changes almost at the the change of the wind. It feels like some guy could be great for a week, and then the following week. He struggles. Look at a TJ McFarlane and how great he was for the Cardinals in two and a half months last year. Right. He's just not that high leverage guy anymore for St. Louis. It can switch on a dime. The Brewers have done a really nice job of getting guys in the right positions. And whether they were a starter in the minor leagues and then they put them into the bullpen, build their arms up, get a bunch of pitches under their belt, refine what they're doing, and then bring them up into the bullpen. They've done that with Corbin Burns when he made his debut. They did that with Freddie Peralta. They did it with Brandon Woodruff. Now these guys are all-star starters, but they started in the Brewers' bullpen, building themselves up, building confidence, and now they're in the rotation. I think pitching, it's the cornerstone of every franchise. Look at what Tampa's doing, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the example on the East Coast and, and on, in, the, in the American League. Um, what they're doing with pitching. The Brewers go to Tampa after this homestand. I can't wait to watch those two games against those two organizations. How much of that is market size, though? Like, everyone that you mentioned that is building pitching is Milwaukee and Cincinnati toggle between the smallest markets Mm -hmm. in the majors. And the Brewers are widely regarded as a success story because they have such a small medium market, small population market, and yet they do great for revenue and they contend. Um, The Cardinals obviously have... uh, payroll that is beyond the size of their market and they draw sell more tickets beyond the size of their market to make that possible in each of these cases isn't it just essential to have pitching because you can't you have to have depth and it has to be cost efficient Mm -hmm. because you can't just go out and spend millions on the guy yeah, I agree with that as well. I mean, in this day and age, you're not going to find those 10-year pitching contracts. Right. You're just not. Um, I think that, that people are – organizations are getting a little bit smarter with it with the injury risk and everything else. I, I find it hard to believe that you're going to see a pitcher get more than about a five-year deal moving forward at some point. Mm-hmm. Position players, you're always going to have more lengthy contracts. It's just the way that it's going to be. Um, even though they play every day, right? There's just a little bit more risk-reward with the way the pitchers are and how hard they throw in today's game that organizations are going to be a little bit more hesitant to go long years and big dollars for these pitchers. But if you're a small market team, you've got to build around your pitching staff. 
you can build with trades, you can build with acquisitions, you can build with free agents around your, your offense. I think that's what you're seeing with the Brewers here over the last five years in this window where they've gone to the playoffs for the last four seasons. The offensive guys have not been necessarily homegrown guys. Tyrone Taylor's the only guy out there that's a homegrown guy. Everybody else has been signed, sealed, and delivered different ways. Hmm. Um, so you can build your, your organization through an offensive end, uh, I believe, through other, through other means. But you're going to spend more on your pitching and certainly cultivate that through your system. How much of the Brewers' future is tied up with Christian Yelich? You mentioned the Cardinals' offense. It's held down by two corner infielders who make more than $50 million. Mm-hmm. Cardinals have a payroll where they can handle that. They can spend more than the Brewers. They're in a better position. The Brewers have committed quite a bit of money to Christian Yelich, who's struggled here recently. How much of their future is tied to his ability to kind of bounce back i think a lot of it is i mean he's making i think 26 million dollars a year uh starting this season for the next seven years um and you're looking at those pitches that we've been talking about freddie peralta is locked up to a a pretty significant Mm -hmm. long-term deal but the other guys are still in their arbitration schedule right now josh hader's got one more year of arbitration left after this year Corbin Burns is in arbitration, Adrian Hauser, Brandon Woodruff. These are all guys that are pivotal for the Brewers' success. Some of them are going to have to get paid here pretty soon. Um, So Mark Atanasio and the ownership group are going to have some really hard conversations on what they want to do and where the future of this organization is and how important those guys are to the success of the team. The core guys, especially Mm -hmm. the pitching staff, are. Um, that it's it's a significant piece. There's no doubt. You're going to lose Lorenzo Cain's uh, contract. He was just designated for assignment, but it comes off the books officially next year. Yeah. So you've got a little bit more wiggle room in terms of your payroll that way. You're not paying position players a, a big amount of money. But some of these pitchers that are coming through are going to have to start making some dollars here pretty soon. Before I leap to the question I was guiding towards, quick aside, Lorenzo Cain. I mean, he's he was a huge part of a culture shift here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a coincidence that he comes here, you know, free agent, and then kind of they, they elevate to the playoffs almost, I think, every year he was here, right? Yeah, 2018 it was his first year. Him and Christian Yelich were traded for and signed on the same exact That's day. That's right, traded for. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Cain, and then signed to keep. Yep. Yeah, well, Lorenzo was the five-year deal, right? And then, yeah. and then traded for Christian Yelich, and then he had the extension. But those two guys, ever since they've arrived here in Milwaukee, it's been a playoff team, uh, and it's not a coincidence. Um, he's, he was a great presence in that Brewers clubhouse. He was always smiling. He'd always come up with something when he'd get a base hit. He'd get on first base and show me the love or come up with some hand sign or whatever to bond with his teammates. Uh, played such great defense in the outfield. It was a, a crime, I thought, that he only won one gold glove in his mm-hmm. career in 2019. He should have won more. Um, but he was a special player, a special guy to be around. The Brewers are going to miss that presence in the clubhouse. Uh, but I think I do think it's a time for Willie Adamas to, to really go to the forefront in his leadership qualities because uh, he's he's poised to be a really really big piece of this pie. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask about him specifically because he was such a, a jolt of helium for the team last year for the Brewers, right? I mean, he brought a lot of that effervescence and and almost I mean like 
joy and comfort to the field that the, the team needed, right? Yeah, no doubt. Last year, the, the entire season shifted on May 22nd when the Brewers picked him up. He yeah. made his first appearance in Cincinnati, has a two-run single, and he's just a barrel of energy out there. No matter what, we saw him last night in a 6-2 game in the ninth inning out there talking with Bill Merrill, the second-base umpire, and he's just smiling and laughing and having a good time. Did and you see him leading the, the, some of the other infielders and in dancing? It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's, it's just... He knows when it's a big moment, he needs to lock in, right? And that's Craig Council's thing, too. And, and the way that Craig runs a, an organization and a clubhouse, it's you guys can have fun. Be yourselves. Be, be your individual selves that's going to get the best out of what you need to do on the field. But at the same time, when, when the going gets tough, we, we need to lock in a little bit. There's, there's a fine line between messing around yeah. and, and getting your stuff done. And I think Willie is really good at turning that switch when he needs to. He created with Quentin Berry and, and, and Jason Lane, our third base coach, the home run bell, and it's the now the ball player's bell is what it originally was. You make a good play on defense or you get a big strikeout or you hit a home run, you go ring the bell. It's over by the camera at the back end mm-hmm. of the dugout. So that all started in the month of May, and the Brewers started playing much better more consistently. Um, but Willie's right at the forefront of everything positive that goes on in this organization. Um, and hopefully the Brewers realize that, and I think they do, that, that he's going to be a cornerstone piece along with a lot of the core guys that are here now. You see the Padres have their medallion and the Blue Jays have their sport coat. You guys have – do they only do it for home runs now, or is it still like a good play kind it's of thing? It's technically the ball player bell. So if you make a great diving play to end an inning or whatever it is, if you make a, a smart baseball play, mm-hmm. you're supposed to go ring the bell. I'm, I'm not all in on the Angels cowboy hat that they're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah, one yeah. of them that they're doing. Or yeah. The Red Sox are doing the shopping cart down in the dugout. Yeah, they've done that too. for a while, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I like the home run bell. The fact that it says – happy hour on it. I think it's a perfect brewer thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? It's gotta be. If it's yeah. I was just gonna say they beat the Top Gun reference, right? That's the in the in the new Top Gun, put the cell phone on the on the bar and they ring the bell and that person has to buy everybody around there. So that's mm-hmm. where it comes from. And I you know, I guess the old pubs you'd have that where if somebody bought a whole round they would or a big tip, yeah. they would ring the, the bell. Mm-hmm. Carlos don't have are the Cardinals no fun? They they don't have that. I think they're fun. I think the Cardinals can have their, but it's fun in a different way. I, what I way? Know, I, they don't have that. I'm not sure. Has it ever been that way? Like when you've watched the Cardinals, and you've covered the team for a long time. Any, any, yeah, yeah. Has has there ever been anything like that? A home run celebration, or um, you know. Uh, for whatever reason, Brewers uh, a few years ago, Aaron Perez, they had confetti when people would throw hit home runs. They'd throw confetti when they came in on the dugout. Carlos Martinez would throw confetti or water okay. in the in the players' face. But that's about it. That's about it. I mean, I think at home the big thing is curtain calls. Sure. And we've actually kind of wondered this year if the curtain call has faded because we didn't see one for a long time. Yeah. Um, kind of wondered if maybe Albert's return had taking the curtain call off the table because he got one, sure. hit the home run, got the huge curtain call. Then we just didn't really see one again. And then uh, Paul Goldschmidt got one recently, but he's so reluctant to take them yeah. that maybe that is part of it. It's just fascinating. I mean, they're not they're not a team that's going to pull out the you know Gussie Bush cowboy hat yeah. or or have some kind of toasted ravioli celebration or something. They're just I, not. I feel like the only guy that would do that. And you have such leaders on this team, right? With Goldschmidt and Arenado and Molina and Wainwright. You know, the only guy that I would think of with the Cardinals that could pull something like that off would be Harrison Bader, right? I feel yeah. like he would have 
something to do. Or Tyler O'Neill would flag, do some sort of a flex thing with yeah. people. I mean, Willie Adamas. Like a weightlifter belt, maybe? Yeah, yeah sure. something like that. Something they like that, yeah. right? Those two guys could come up with something. I feel like they've got some, some flair. Yeah. I mean, so far this year, they've had so many rookies doing so many of their first wins, first saves, yeah. and all that stuff that they do the uh, you know the shower of whatever goods and craziness is available. So yeah. Zach Thompson gets his first win, and he's got shaving cream in his ear. And he said, I think I tasted yogurt in the mess. I closed my eyes. There was definitely ramen noodles. Okay. He goes, there was definitely ramen noodles. Um, another player, I can't remember who, but got applesauce up his nose. Sure. and. Then had whatever like yogurt still leaking from his ear as he was talking to the media. So anyway, I, they they do that, but that's behind closed doors. Yeah, I feel I, baseball is so everyday, right? Yeah. And it's so littered with so much failure that I think you have to celebrate the positives in this sport because there's so many negatives in this sport. Um, you know, that's why I think it's great when the, the Brewers get on base, a single, a double, a triple, whatever. They have some sort of hand signal because you celebrate yeah. the successes. I think that's such a big part of this sport. And uh, I wish the Cardinals would do it. They do the hand signals every so often. Yeah. Um, you know, they did salsa for a while sure. um, with Matt Carpenter. They, they've done other things um, as well. I wonder, and this is what I was interested in asking you, the Brewers are going for their fifth consecutive playoff appearance. It's a remarkable run. It really is. They, they're the class of the division right now. However, they haven't had much success in October. The Cardinals go to the ballpark every day with the pressure of having to perform in October. Whether they're in third place or second place, the expectations are that they will be there, get to October, and show us what you got there. Is that pressure starting to intensify on the Brewers? Are they starting to think that, like, look, getting to October is fun, ring the bell a few times, but it's got to produce a winner at some point? I think that that pressure started in 2018 when they got a game away from the World Series, ended up losing the Dodgers Game 7 in the NLCS. I th- but all that core was so young at that time. Yeah. That was Yelich and Kane's first year at the team. Brandon Woodruff was a rookie. Freddie Peralta made his Major League debut that season. Corbin Burns was pitching out of the bullpen. Um, Josh Hader was kind of like a one-trick pony. When is he going to be used in these types of things? I I do believe that the fan base here is starting to hold this organization a lot more accountable. And you could tell when the team started losing a couple of games in a row, four games in a row, five, it got to eight. And you're starting to say and and see some of these fans going, what's going on? The the sky is falling. This team Mm -hmm. is falling apart. You know, we need to start trading people. We need to start bringing people up. They started panicking because they're not used to seeing – eight-game losing streaks, even though the Brewers had a seven-game losing streak last year and still right. won 95 games. But I think that they are starting to hold the organization a lot more accountable. And it's it's so crazy that whenever you look at the Brewers in their postseason runs, they always lose to the team that goes to the World Series or ends up winning the World Series. Yeah. It's kind of like you're, you're everybody's miscongeniality. You show up and you play against this team and then – you end up if you play the Brewers and you beat them, then you're in pretty good shape to to move on. Happened in 2011 with the Cardinals, right? right in the point. NLCS, they go on and win the World Series. So, um, I think that that this is the time for this core to really elevate themselves. They, I think that they feel that they were disappointed last year after they had a chance to set a franchise record in wins, and the offense just fell apart for the last two weeks of the season last year, yeah. and it carried into the playoffs and. 
they'll hold the Braves going win the whole darn thing, right? So you run into a hot team that's trying to just make it at that point, and then they go and win it. It's that fine medium of do you really want to have such a big lead, or do you want games to play for at the end of the game at the end of the season so that you have that momentum moving forward? I think the Brewers are in this position where they know what they are. And I think they know how to perform at that level. It's just putting all the pieces together over the course of a series and just trying to get to the top of the mountain. Is there a concern that if it doesn't happen this year or next year, especially where the the leaders of the rotation are, where Hayter is, I mean, how long he'll be around, um, where Devin Williams is in his career, is there any sense that if it doesn't happen in this year or next year, it may not happen? I don't think they're thinking that, but if you look back, I think that's in the back of some people's minds, especially up in the up in the Ivory Towers here at American Family Field. Mm-hmm. I think that they're looking at some of those things and saying, we've got control of these guys for X amount of years. We have to maximize these years right now as we're still trying to build these people up uh, from our minor league system, but they're years away. Mm-hmm. This is the time right now. This is the golden age of Brewers baseball. They've never gone to the playoffs three straight years, let alone four straight years, what they're doing right now. So that brings us to this series, then, back to it. And what have you learned about the division race in this series? What what stands out? We talked about how evenly matched they are. Mm-hmm. talked about how similar they are in, in building teams. Um, you mentioned that the Cardinals have kind of the offensive pop, mm-hmm. um, maybe neutralized a bit by the Brewers' ability to pitch. Certainly, Brewers can shorten games on that lineup. Yeah. Um, are, are, those, are, there, are there any other element that really stands out about these two teams in this series so far? It's all going to be the head to head between these two teams. It's it's either going to be the Brewers or the Cardinals that wins the Central and how you do against the other teams too. I know the Brewers have cleaned up against the Reds and against the Pirates. The Brewers still have. They played them six times, so you still got 13 matchups with Pittsburgh coming up. Mm-hmm. They played the Cubs ten times, played them 500, um, but you've still got nine games of Chicago left. Those are the games that you really need to emphasize and then hope you go 500, I think, against the St. Louis Cardinals at this point. Um it's it's a really it's a fascinating series. It really is. And I love these matchups because it feels like playoff series. The second game of the series felt like a playoff game for Ollie Marmel, the way that he managed it. Yeah, I think that first game did too because of how well Burns pitched sure. and how the Cardinals were like. I mean, they were swing away. Right. They were they got the tying run of the plate briefly, but they got the tying run of the plate in the ninth. And there was like an element of like, all right, Burns is out. Now what are you going to do? But it lined up so perfectly for the Brewers to use their three best pitchers. I, don't, I mean, that, there's no question about it. They, yeah. Three best pitchers right yeah. there. The script was right where they wanted it to be, right? And then Donovan gets this infield single and then has a bad read on a ball and dirt gets thrown out. And then you could see the switch flip on Josh Hader's head. It's yeah. like, all right, let's go. Boom, boom, boom. Goes and gets Goldschmidt and Arenado and the, and the ball game's over. So, And he hadn't pitched for eight days. It's just these two teams match up so well against each other. It's almost like they built each other's organizations to face each other in the central. I, that's what I love about these two teams. That's well put. So how do the Cardinals win the division? That's the last thing I'll ask you. You know you know the Brewers well. Is it prolonged troubles with the offense from the Brewers that hold them back? Is it the Cardinals playing up to the names on the back of their jersey? How do the Cardinals win this division? I think there's a, there's an acquisition in there for, for the St. Louis Cardinals to go get, maybe solidify the back end of the bullpen, maybe get another bridge guy, even though Helsley's been unbelievable at the back end. 
but have multiple options back there to go get those last few outs, maybe add a starter, because it's a, it's a little thin at times. Mm-hmm. And if there's an injury to that rotation for St. Louis, there, there's some problems. Fascinating, because when you think about the last few years, it's really been the Brewers who have jumped ahead of the Cardinals by making a move sooner and a move better and a trade that changes the season while the Cardinals have been more conservative, made their move later, and it's cost them. You asked me the Cardinal Cardinal question. I gave you the Cardinal answer. I love it. You're right. You're right on there. I mean, it's one of the things that really stands out about this division is how aggressive and the knack for timing that the Brewers front office has had and how the Cardinals, particularly last year, they lost the division in June Mm -hmm. because they made their pitching moves in July. Jeff, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me, man. This has been great. You got it, Derek. Anytime. All right. Well, I will definitely take you up on that because we have a lot more games left (laughs) and it's going to be these two teams button heads the whole season. So looking forward to it. Thanks again, Jeff. You got it. Thanks, Derek. That was Jeff Levering, broadcast voice of the Milwaukee Brewers. You can hear him on radio for Brewers games and, of course, now on TV there at Bally Sports Wisconsin for all the Brewers games. Jeff can also be found on Twitter at JLevering4. That's J-L-E-V-E-R-I-N-G-4. And bring on the music here. Of course, you can find all the Constant Cardinals coverage and the best podcast in baseball at stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. If you want to enjoy this musical interlude, that's where you can find all of the chats, all the constant game coverage, all of the immediate game coverage. And then, of course, now we've started something new, the exclusive follow-up. It's every every day after a game at 6 a.m., there will be a deeper dive into the previous night's game or the news of the day. The best podcast in baseball is also available wherever you get your podcasts. It can be found on iTunes. Please rate and review the podcast there so we can continue and improve as we look towards... uh, or look through the 10th season of the podcast and onward into 11, 12, 13 for as long as the community that has helped this podcast thrive wants to have it around. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by... They're really not turning down this music. Sorry. But, hey, ambient noise during BP. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closet by Design. It's a production of stltoday.com, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and me, St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Talk to you soon. Welcome to uh, the ambient sounds of batting practice at American Family Field.